Bench Racing Radio. Bench Racing Radio. The podcast with your hosts, Eric Gio and Anthony Leake. How's it going today, Anthony? It's going pretty good. How about you, Eric? Not too bad, man. Not too bad. So look at this. You know, the people on Bench Racing Radio talk and with soda listens. We talk about carbon drive shafts. Boom. Right after that, it came to pass. What do you think? Well, I could call it a coincidence, but we all know the heavy amount of influence that Bench Racing Radio has on the racing world in our region. And I just think it was inevitable. I think that lots of people listened and, and lots of people just said, hey, we want carbon drive shafts and uh, was so delivered. <laughs> yeah, but in all seriousness, it's uh, it, it was pretty interesting. You know, it was sort of rule changes for the last while had been pretty quiet and uh, and they really... They really bumped it up here with the with a lot of stuff and and all, I think I think they're all good changes and it's all stuff that it's not a disadvantage if you don't want to take part, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, it's been so many years of rule freezes and rule freezes, which, you know, I think overall in the scheme of things that there's nothing wrong with having rule freezes for a while because I think that there was especially when the first set of the last six or seven years of rule freezes happened, there was a significant amount of changes. And yeah. the thing is, when you change every single year, you know, how do people digest, right? Like uh, there needs oh, to yeah. be, yeah, there needs to be time. There needs to be just to digest what the, what the classes are looking like with those changes, especially with major changes and just, or have a plan, right? It's, it's kind of double pronged. Yeah, no, there's there's people who are of the camp of, you know, rule changes do nothing but cost the racers money, uh, which, you know, is true for some of them. Uh, I would say definitely not all, but, uh, you know, somewhere you're forced to run this or forced to have that, then, yeah, that definitely, everybody's got to do it. And then sometimes they don't shake out and they go back to what they had before. Like, those are mm-hmm. bad rule changes. Nobody likes to see those. But, you know, stuff like uh, what they did here, I think it's uh, it's pretty solid, you know. Like for the the carbon fiber drive shafts for uh, late models and modifieds, um, you know, it totally makes sense. A new steel drive shaft is five hundred dollars, mm-hmm. right? A new fast shaft, you can get the same one, or you can get a carbon fast shaft for under a thousand bucks. So right. if you wanna if you wanna pay that price to you know for your own safety, for yourself and your chassis and everything else, like why not? The amount of it would be. Very difficult to measure the performance increase of having that lighter carbon fiber drive shaft with the wrap up that they talk about. It's it'd be hard to measure. Yeah, I mean, I when it comes to rules for me and, and what I've learned and experienced, and of course going through the Pure Stock rule package with with Winnipeg and Kenora over the last several weeks, you know, the one one of the things that the debate is always, you know. How do we look at it from the promoter, from the track perspective, and how you look at it from the driver's perspective? And, you know, there's, there's, when does the responsibility of the track or tracks or sanctioning body making the rules end? And where does it start in terms of responsibility for the drivers and the things that they want and so on and so forth? And I think it's, it's quite a, it's a moving target. I think it's a bit of a blurred line of where those responsibilities are. At the end of the day, promoters just want to see cars and they want to see a good program drivers on the other hand they're looking for competitive edges they're looking for safety features they're looking for different ways that might shift the class one way or the other because you know at the end of the day everyone has their own agenda 
But at the same time, when we look at the parties involved, it's just where do these responsibilities start and end? You know, the cost could be, you know, you could blame the tracks or the sanctioning bodies for for bringing a change in and costing drivers three thousand dollars or four thousand dollars or whatever the case might be. But then if the options are there, is that the responsibility of the driver to decide or owner to decide whether they're going to spend that money or not? based on the advantages. And I think that it's a debate that I've seen many times in Wissota in terms of, hey, you know what? Yeah, you're right. You can run it. Like, for example, with one of the rule changes, you can run a quick change in the Midwest Mods now or run a nine inch still now. But are the, of the 800 drivers in the Midwest Mods just going to switch to quick change regardless of whether there's an advantage or not? Well, that costs drivers money. And then people will look and say, well, that's the promoters association's fault for making that change and making half the drivers or three quarters of the driver force that switch, even if the switch isn't necessary to be competitive. And I think yeah. that that's where the big debates come into play. The, the thing, there's two sides that you got to look at any of these, any rule, really. There's the, the reality of it. And then there's the perception of it. Yep. You know, the the reality is, you know, there's guys who go out there with not the most expensive equipment and and win like it happens in in all classes. Mm-hmm. The guy it's not always the guy who's got the most money into his stuff that's at the front. It's the guys who got their stuff working right. That's right. But when people are talking about the cost of a car, they don't talk about, you know, piecing something together, you know, that that. You know, you get this and you get that used and you throw it together and you can do it for a lot less. That's not the way it gets looked at. It has to be, you do have to look at realistically the cost of a new car, but you know, people look at this perception of, well, well now you got to have, you know, you got to have the quick changer. You got to have this, you got to have all the, the you got to have a carbon drive shaft. Now, if you're going to have a modified, well, no, you don't. And there's no performance advantage there, but it's a perceived cost. It's going to get added onto the sticker price that everybody talks about. That's right. And, you know, are we going to be able to deal with that or not? So. That's right. That's right. And, and I mean, you can't predict how things are going to turn at the end of the day. You just try to take the best information you have at that time to make that change. And I think when it came to the quick change in particular, you know, you could see that every year there was more and more pressure to introduce the quick change. And you knew with the rules freeze over a period of, you know, half a dozen years or so that the pressure was mounting to that. And, and because the, the amount of traveling was becoming, is becoming more and more all the time, even with COVID. And when you could see just that kind of pressure going on, you, it, it was inevitable. It was a matter of time. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just, if uh, anybody who fought against that, there's a couple of arguments that I have against it. A, have you ever had to change gears on a Fortnite inch <laughs> to go race again tomorrow? It's not fun. It's it makes it difficult. And and you know, from a promoter standpoint for yourself, you just want cars to go. And if a guy that's has right. to change gears, that's you know, that's an hour job if you really know what you're doing. Um yeah. I, yeah, yeah, there's guys who can do it at the track, whatever, whatever. We all heard the stories, but the reality of it is if you're doing it alone and you're you're doing it right and, and not rushing through it, it, it takes you an hour to finish. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, that's that's a bit of a barrier to, for a guy to, to be able to go out and travel. Quick changes are sweet. You know, 10, 10 minutes tops, you're done. Yeah. Um, and, and the thing is, too, the cost, right? People say, oh, the cost of the quick change is that much higher. But in reality, uh, you know, there's no good rule that you can make to make Ford 9-inch gears cheaper. So each that's gear right. set for a Ford 9, you're looking at 
God, it used to be six hundred dollars. It's way more than that now. Yeah, give or take, depending. Yeah, but depending. Yeah. But I mean, if you're getting the light and, and you know the the good, oh, yeah. quality yeah. stuff that you know, yeah. there's no rules because they can't tech it accurately. So they don't like short of taking it, taking out your center section and weighing it, which is a real pain in mm-hmm. the butt. That would be the only way you could really police that. I mean, it's 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 one of those things where you can't, you know, you're right. You got you could look at the top end of, you know, because you could have different levels of cost depending on what's going on, and you got to try to find a way to 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 ba- like find an average. Like as the when you make a rule change overall, when we look at sustainability, when we look at reliability and all that, is that really an increase in cost on the average? You know, you can't say you know if everyone bought a new car every year then the average is going to be this much higher but not everyone's doing that it's no different Mm -hmm. than the parts right not everyone's buying brand new everything so when you look at these rule changes you got to look okay well what's the average of the cost right now for people purchasing nine inch ford rear ends and then you have to look at okay well uh how much of a nuisance is this for people for changing how much time is it taking out of their day to be able to go to another racetrack just load it on the trailer and go so there's access to other racetracks more quickly then you have to look at well what's the what's the cost on average after you've made that full-on purchase is it cheaper at the end of the day then you have to look at the competition is is the competition possibly tighter uh because of the change that was made and it's there's just so much information to take in that um, even when that happens, you could still miss it by a mark. And then I think that's where the whole argument about rule freezes over a period of time is important because then it gives the classes time to digest what's going on out there with those changes. And I think that that's important, but at some point you gotta, you have to do things, you have to change with the times and you have to uh, respect uh, the pressures of the sport over time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Summed it up pretty well there. Did you also see the new uh, new Soda logo? I did. What do you think of that? Um, it's tough being a Wissota member track. Um, you don't want to speak too badly about it. Well, no, no, I wouldn't say that. I as we talked just before starting the recording, you know, I don't. I'm I'm kind of impartial to it. It doesn't do much different for me uh, in terms of what we had before. Um, I don't. I feel it doesn't stand out quite as much as I kind of thought it would. Um, yeah, it's, I, I don't know. I've seen it with some different color backgrounds and I find it's very palette specific. So is it something that will help build the brand again? I don't know. I, my, my jury's out on that whole deal, but when I saw it, I was a little underwhelmed by it. It's not bad, but it's not like some of those horrible hockey jerseys we've seen or logos that we've seen over the last few years. So I'm kind of, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll wait and see long-term what it looks like on, you know, different banners and different uh, jackets and so on and so forth. But yeah, I'm kind of, I'm impartial to it. Yeah. That's, uh, I'm about, about the same. I mean, I think it's just going to, well, with the colors that they chose, it's going to fade uh, or it'll kind of fade away into whatever you're putting it on. Like I don't see it jumping up very well as a patch on a driver's suit kind of thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but it, looks kind of cool if you like late models uh i don't know yeah i just i find it i i find it interesting in that for that choice i think that if i think there was probably a better way to encompass what the sanctioning body represents than just like our top class 
-hmm. not that there's anything wrong with a late model. I just feel like if we want to look at ourselves as a sanctioning body, we should at least find some level of inclusion with yeah. the classes that we run. Um, you know, what I liked, I know the the logo, the old logo is is similar to other logos out there, like Limeland, for example, Speedway, it's, it's similar. Uh, but the flags, you know, they just, they represent the sport as a whole. I actually kind of expected more of like a reimagining of the old logo in terms of representing that than just kind of going with a checkered banner with the name and and the late model. So the, I think that was maybe the bigger shock for me was was I think the the veering away from the overall arching theme of the logo and the sanctioning body and being a little bit too specific. You know, if that makes any sense. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, I mean, it's different, you know, people have different opinions on change all the time. You can't, Absolutely. can't please everybody. That's a, that's no, a sure no, path no. To, uh, to not doing anything right. So, yeah. Yeah. So it's, it, it is, it is what it is and we'll, we'll fly it as proudly as, uh, we always have with previous stuff. And, uh, you know, like, like I said, nothing to bash, um, the designers and the work and money and time it took to design it. It just, I kind of feel like it, it missed the mark a little bit in terms of overall representation of the sanctioning body. Oh, definitely agree. But uh, I guess with that, you want to uh, get into the interview here? Yeah, absolutely. It was uh, it, this was actually a pretty fun one too. A very knowledgeable individual about uh, what he does. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought uh, I thought it was neat. It was kind of just one we threw out there. Figured it'd be an uh, interesting guy to have on the show, and and uh, yeah, it didn't disappoint. So. Let's, uh, let's jump into it. Sounds good. Our next guest on Bench Racing Radio is a racer from Harwood, North Dakota. And uh, this guy's a wild man. He drives all kinds of cars. He's racing all over the place in open wheel, closed wheel. You name it, this guy's racing it right now. And uh, super exciting character. Really excited to have him on. Welcome to the podcast number 84, Josh Johnson. How's it going, man? Oh, pretty good. Good, uh, good to have you on. It's uh, it's been fun watching uh, watching your your crazy season here this year. All the stuff you're uh, you're getting after and getting to do. It's uh, it's been pretty neat. Yeah, uh, it, I really didn't know how it would go, but it seemed like I'd be able to race every week. And uh, you know, as long as a car was staying together, I'd race. You know, the next night. Yeah, oh man, it was it was quite the thing. We'll we'll uh, we'll get into that uh, exactly what you're up to here this year for maybe some of our people who aren't uh, familiar, but. Uh, We'll we'll start off. We'll go back to the start. Uh, what's the first uh, first memory you have of of being around the racetrack? I think just being in the stands. Uh, when I was born, my dad had already raced about four or five years around Fargo, and uh, I just remember being up in the stands at Red River Valley Speedway every Friday night, and eventually uh, Buffalo River Speedway on Sunday nights. What uh, do you prefer, the old half mile configuration or the uh, the current? Uh, some yeah, people serious. down here probably wouldn't like my answer, but I missed the half mile. I'm, I'm yeah. sure. I'm sure nowadays it, it makes sense to be the size it is, but you know, all all of us have uh, memories of the half mile. So, yeah, for sure. There's something about it. You know, I I agree that yeah, the racing's probably closer on the shorter tracks, and I, you know, from a total dollars and cents, it's just it's less water, it's less diesel fuel, it's less work to prepare a shorter track. It's just you know, simple math. That but, I think, uh, uh, but th there's something about seeing dirt cars at full chat flying into the corners <laughs> on a half mile track. It's uh, it's pretty awesome. 
yeah, you know, when, when the when the track was good, the racing was insane. Like, I, I know it was big and everything like that, but uh, there'd be guys down around the tires, guys uh, skidding off the wall. You know, it was just, it was crazy. Yeah, definitely. I hope uh, hope we can maintain a few of those on the circuit. But yeah. so you uh, you grew up, uh, you know, with with your dad racing. Uh, how, how long was uh, was his career? What did he run? Uh, he started off in uh, hobby stocks. It was more of a super stock back in the day. Um, he ran that for about ten years, and then got into the modifieds uh, up until two thousand six. Then he decided he wanted to get a late mall in case he planned to retire. And I think he ran about five years in that in the late malls and uh retired in 2010 which happened to me in my first year so okay. i my my first year was actually my dad's last year so uh i was able to race against him and my brother in the late malls oh that's pretty that's pretty awesome and i guess for for those of us who aren't aware your brother and your dad their first names are uh mike johnson is my brother and greg johnson is my dad okay cool cool so yeah, what uh, and, and I remember you were you used to write for all the dirt. You'd write a column in there. Uh, how how did you get started with that gig? Uh, I, I think I was at, I was still in school and uh, I'd seen all the dirt was looking for writers for Red River Valley Speedway and Norman County Raceway, and I was like, well, you know, I wouldn't mind getting into the races for free, so I I went ahead and did that, and <laughs> got the media pass. <laughs> yeah, yeah, more or less. And it, it Anthony, it... how come we don't get media passes? What the hell? <laughs> We're just not at that stage. I'm sorry. I guess, yeah. But yeah, I, I was doing that for a few years, and they then they contacted me and asked if I wanted to do the column, and it was not just Josh. And, and uh, I think I did that for about four or five years, I think. And yeah, that, that got me into more tracks. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Oh, that's cool. So... So, you know, growing up, like, you, you know, you, you were around this. Did you always, you know, you obviously loved being around the racing, but did you always think you wanted to be a driver or were you not sure? Oh, probably from day one. I I, I probably could have done better in school if I hadn't been thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> you turned a lot of mental laps in the, when you're sitting there in English class. <laughs> yep, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I was there too. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. So... But you, you know, you, you bided your time. You waited for the right, uh, right opportunity yeah, to get started. So what, what was it? What were the dominoes that fell into place there? It was more or less, uh, I, I basically couldn't afford it uh, for, you know, basically my teenage years and early 20s. But at some point, I just decided to hunker down and uh, start saving money. And for some reason, the late mall was what I wanted to do. I had been trying to put a, a B-Mod together before that, but. I guess my heart wasn't totally into it. And a friend of mine had a late mall for sale and an engine. And, uh, I think I spent about two years, uh, saving up just to get all that. And, uh, nice. yeah, when I was 24 is when I started racing. I'm 35 now. Yeah. You know, for, uh, for not having the budget late models, an interesting class to go for, but, uh, <laughs> you know, Hey, you, like you said, you didn't quite have, uh, didn't, didn't fully have your interest to build that B mod, but I'm sure that the, Getting a fire over one of those uh, those late model engines that'll that'll get you going, hey. Well, I, I want to say because my brother had uh, started racing late model in 2006, so I was crewing for him, you know, uh, running Fargo Friday nights and the NLRA tour, and I was just around all, everybody, you know, the NLRA guys, and uh, I just really wanted to be a part of that. And I'd say even when I was like like a, just a little kid, I wanted to race the late model. You know, I never expected it to happen, but you know, all of a sudden I had one. Yeah. So your, uh, your rookie year, like what, 
what was that? How how was that? You know, you'd you'd been to hundreds and hundreds of races, right? But, uh, I, I know leading up to it, uh, a lot of people questioned me doing that, uh, mm-hmm. but I I was under the impression I had seen it enough, and I knew that there was a limit, and you know, if I got close to it and I felt like I was out of control, just don't go to that limit. So mm-hmm. it, I'd say my first year actually went pretty well. Like I was, I got faster every week. I was actually passing cars. Like my first week, actually never been in a car before. And, uh, it, it, yeah, it actually went pretty well. And, you know, I've, I've heard that before that, uh, they say if your goal is to get the late model, then the best thing that, uh, that the pros would tell you is get into a late model as fast as you can, because racing a street stock for 10 years is going to do nothing but give you bad habits. If late model is where you want to end up. Right. Know? Yep. Yep. Cause you're, you're taking a car that isn't built for this and trying to force it into it. Whereas late models are purpose built, man. Those things are sweet. Yeah, and, like, I remember my first night, you know, I was still a little nervous. Again, I hadn't actually gotten any laps in a race car before. But uh, You didn't even get to practice? No. <laughs> so, but uh, uh, before the race night, the friend that I bought the car from, he was, he was kind of telling me, you know, what to expect going in the corner, what the car is going to do, where the limit is and all that. And I remember under pace laps, I just kind of got on the, on the throttle a little bit and uh, kind of drove her into the corner. And I remember thinking, I got this. that's awesome yeah you know so you you just steadily built on that over the next uh next few seasons and just just racking up the late model shows Uh, like what uh what year did you start branching out and running some different cars uh well i I had uh, that b mod that i said i never put together um Mm -hmm. i never got rid of that car so i'd been sitting at my grandpa's collecting dust for about 12 years so in about 2014, I decided I was going to uh, pull that out and actually just start working on it because I had built up enough spares with the late mall that could go over to the modified, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. And uh, all of a sudden, I had a, another car together. So 2014 would have been when I got that the second car going. And then uh, obviously that sprint car, once they talked about that Western Renegade series, uh, Tom Cummings expre- expressed interest and. In, uh, asked if i wanted to do it too <laughs> yeah tom man what a what a character can't wait to get him on the show someday uh you know that's just it's so cool to see what he's doing there and just having so much fun racing these cars yeah you know uh, I, I, it's hard to say if uh if he was winding anything down but i think i just uh i think i reversed that once i uh, started <laughs> racing with him because yeah. uh you know now we've got our two sprint cars and then uh we decided to get a car together for me for the 305 deal in Fargo and he decided he wanted to get one. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we're building two 305s and then, uh, with, uh, he had been uh, helping me try to get the late mall program turned around last year. And all of a sudden decided he wanted to get one. So, <laughs> so we, last summer we got a car for him, uh, as a roller and we're slowly putting that together. He's going to oh, run right. that as a limited down in, uh, Glendon. Nice. Yeah. So, so that's the fleet for you right now. You've got the, uh, you've got the three or I guess four cars. You've got the mod Midwest mod late model. Well, I mean, I should say the, the Midwest mod is actually a mod. Like I, when, oh, okay. I, when I brought it out, I had a spare late mall engine. <laughs> right, so, right. Right. Yep. And then, uh, to make it IMCA, I, I bought that, uh, I bought a 421 from your brother. Oh yeah. 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 So. yeah. That's where that thing went. I remember when he had that big old thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, it, I think it sat at Performance Auto for most of the year, and I I finally texted him and go, "How much do you want for it?" 
<laughs> yeah, that was when we, we made a brief experiment in going IMCA and it didn't, uh, fortunately we did, we weren't forced to, we were able to stay with Soda for most of it. Yeah. 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 I didn't lose too many tracks that way, but yeah, that's, uh, uh, that's pretty cool, man. So of the, of all those cars, is, is there one that's a clear favorite or are they all just, you know, I'll, I'll be politically and, correct and say they're all fun. Uh, right. but, uh, I, I know when the late mall has been like, I wouldn't say spot on, but pretty close. That's, that's been quite a thrill, but, uh, seems like there's not a lot of nights like that <laughs> and uh it, you know it, it is fun broad sliding a uh, sprint car sideways non-wing sprint car sideways you know and uh the experience with the wing when i got to run with the nosa guys was you know pretty cool you know as long as you kept your speed up in the corner that that thing would uh you know get her on there really quick yeah yeah it's uh it, it's pretty amazing the feel of the, the that that change just from bolting those wings on how much it changes everything about the car right yep like, uh, you know, I had several laps at Jamestown in the late mall and I went there with, uh, the NOSA group with the wing. And I remember, uh, it, I was so, so, cause I, you know, I had our uh, B mod type engine in, so I was so, so going down the straightaway, but as long, as soon as we get to the corner, that thing was like, you know, just went around there so quick. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, that's a, that's definitely different than the late mall. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, as long as you're not in a super hammer down track with that setup, that uh, you should be able to be fairly competitive with those guys, hey? Yeah, well, I mean, I'd say my B mod type motor is actually more of a pure stock engine, if that makes sense. So it's got mm-hmm. a little less power than a B mod, but uh, it works. Yeah, oh, totally. Yeah. And uh, I want to say that night in Jamestown, the, the 305 guys from Fargo actually looked fairly competitive. It was a dry track, so it kind of helped out there, but. Yeah, that's the thing, right? Sprints and they, they generally require such a different different track prep than uh, than a normal, you know, yeah. mod late model shows. So Yep. Yeah. That's that's great. So, you know, for your racetracks that you hit up, do you generally stay pretty close to home or do you like to stretch it out pretty far? I always like to stretch it out. I you know, my first year racing the late mall was the last year Fargo had late malls. So <laughs> after that I, I basically have traveled the rest of my career. Um, with the yeah. 305 that we're going to be putting together, I'll actually have a weekly track again by going yeah. to Fargo on Friday nights. So I do like the travel part of it. It's kind of fun to just hit up different tracks and not really have a, you know, you're not really into the, I don't know if everybody's kind of got a weekly deal or not, but uh, I don't like to be a part of that, if that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, no, man, I always said I had the most fun ever when we were racing is just traveling. Go to a new track and, you know, learn how, learn how to run that place and learn, you know, learn how the locals run it and, and meet new people and, uh, and just makes you a better driver. I think trying new tracks out like that, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's just so much fun, but there's something to be said too, for, you know, learning how to really get close to perfection at one track and, uh. Right, and, and again, really you know, my, my, my first year, I was getting better every week, and then obviously they dropped the late malls, and it's like, well, just kind of, you know, uh, I want to say the next year, uh, Fergus and Grand Forks had late malls on Friday night, so it was more or less, uh, whatever the weather looked like, I'd uh, it's the same uh, miles to go to Fergus from Harwood as it is to Grand Forks, so I'd kind of right. just look at the weather, and if one looked dark the one way, I'd just hit the other track. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a it's a good good split between those two tracks. Generally, they're not in the same 
smaller weather pattern, so it's good. Right. Yep. Being the amateur weathermen that we are as racers. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was one night it looked like it was dark in Fergus, so I went to Grand Forks and we we're sitting there watching the sprint car feature after our feature, and I had heard they uh, they'd actually postponed it and were actually starting to race. So I tried to hightail it there to <laughs> make the feature, but I was just a little short. Oh man. <laughs> What, what did you get all that? the way there, or did you realize Not, you weren't going to make it when you got back to Harwood? Uh, well, we had uh, gotten past Harwood, and uh, it was like going into Minnesota, and I'm texting back and forth to somebody that was in Fergus, and he's like, oh, they're already on the mod feature. I'm thinking, unless right. that goes an hour, I'm not going to make it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, if you unload the car here. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> and somebody there can spot you some fuel. <laughs> right. <laughs> then maybe. <laughs> I, I think I could have... Uh, uh, whipped into everything like within five minutes, but it would have been pretty close. Yeah, yeah, that would have been a, an accomplishment. Two races in one night, right? And yeah. you know, it would have been a two-hour trip from Grand Forks to Fergus. But I, oh, yeah. I, I darn oh, near yeah. made it, especially if I would have known about <laughs> it, you know, right after our feature. But right, right, right. Oh man, that's wild. Well, speaking of uh, chasing after things, we're ready for the misfire round. Okay. All right, Josh, here's the rules. You have to pick one or the other. You can't say both or neither. Uh, it's just kind of a flash thing, um, and we'll judge you later. How's that sound? Okay. All right, number one, sit-ups or jumping jacks? Jumping jacks. Running or jogging? Uh, jogging. Dry or tacky? Dry. Blinds or curtains? Uh, curtains. Uh the Arctic or the subarctic? Uh, I guess I don't remember what a subarctic is, so I'll just say Arctic. All right. 4K or 8K? Uh, 4K. Uh, cabin or cottage? Cabin. Uh, football or hockey? Football. Uh, escalator or elevator? Uh, elevator. Mars or Uranus? <laughs> Mars. <laughs> there you have it, the misfire round. <laughs> Everyone giggles at that one. Yeah. <laughs> but you can't not. Right. Right on. So, uh, no, go ahead. I was just going to say, I don't want to see Uranus. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't want to see Uranus anyway. either. <laughs> right on. So, uh, so yeah, you know, you've, uh, you've built up this, this cool little fleet of cars and you're racing with your, your buddy, Tom and, uh, and you guys gave yourselves the, the brand, the, uh, the dirt track misfits. Tell us about how that came about. It kind of came about, uh, uh, when we had heard Fargo was going to run the, the 305s, we knew we weren't going to be able to get anything together for the next year. So we had contacted the track and asked if we could, you know, just run our cars with wings on them and, uh, at, at first they were like, yeah, but I think they had been kind of asking around and, uh, eventually decided we weren't allowed to do it. So, mm-hmm. uh, I was talking to Tom and, uh, I was like, God, I feel like we're just a couple of misfits or something like that. And then it just kind of popped into my head and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I just kind of put a Facebook page up and just kind of started gaining a little following. And, uh, people were ask- like, once I made a logo, people were asking for stickers and, you know, like, like to see the logo out there. So I just started making stickers and people were putting them on their race cars. And it, it's kind of fun to, uh, just kind of show what we're doing, I guess. And people like to respond to that. Yeah, no, it's, it's cool. And it's, it's a lot more interesting than just to, you know, 
like just calling yourselves a, a racing team off of your name, right? It, it's, right. Uh, it's a little different. It's a cool, cool little brand for it. But and, and you know, is there like is that kind of a, a thing of you know kind of going against the flow and and doing different stuff, or is it? Yeah, you know, like uh, when I uh, when we were putting the sprint cars together, uh, Tom. I was asking Tom if he wanted to like do a BMO type engine or like a Chef, basically a Chevron 350 or a LS. And he's like, ah, I think I'll do a Dodge. And, uh, you know, that's just kind of out of the air ordinary. And just the way we kind of approach our racing isn't totally uh, with the grain. Mm-hmm. No, it's, uh, it's, it's cool to see, especially the Dodge. How did he get that in with the rule package? Uh, I know we were looking at the rules and, you know, the, the engine itself was fine. And then I think he found a set of heads that, uh, that were allowed, you know, it's, it's kind of, I believe the B mod type engines, just like a wise out of Midwest mod, uh, engine. Oh, rule. right, right, right. He wasn't, he was under that package. He wasn't under the, the LS thing. Right. Like, How the hell? Yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. So, yeah, uh, I think he had to kind of search for an intake, but everything kind of worked out. Nice. Nice. No, it's a it's a pretty neat thing that you guys are doing there, and, uh, and you know what you've built up, and and uh, you know, good way for everybody to keep track of you, and, and it's neat too, you know, like with the stickers and how they're moving. I think that you know a lot of the, a lot of the people out there that can't afford the big stacker and the brand new rollers and stuff, they, you know, you kind of feel oh, like right. you're like, going against uh, the grain of it sometimes. Well, I, I think I even took a picture this uh, summer. You know, I put Born Misfit on the back of my car. And uh, this year, this summer, we had a big NLRA show. And there were two stacker trailers on the side of me. And I had my open trailer. And I just thought that that uh, back of the spoiler kind of made sense there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's uh, it's good, you know. And, and I, I got to say, I, I don't think that uh, that there's very many racers out there that that do feel like, you know, people with open trailers don't belong and that kind of thing. But you know, that those guys, guys with the big rigs do have the money and, uh, and the, you know, money, it can't make a car go fast on its own, but it certainly never hurts. And, uh, you know, it, uh, it just, it does sort of feel that way, even if it's maybe yeah. not true, but it's, uh, it's cool to see that, uh, what you guys are putting together there, you know, running it on a, on the, on a racer's budget, putting the money where it needs to go and, and no frills where there isn't, you know? Right. And, you know, I, I remember uh, when I decided to get a late mall, uh, I knew the money that was in the class, but it didn't really phase me. I'm like, you know, I, I know what I'm going up against, but, uh, you know, I really want to do this. So I, I just went ahead and did it. And I don't ever really say poor me, but, I, you know, I kind of know what I'm racing against. Yeah, exactly. It's, uh, it, yeah, it is what it is. You know, you know what that playing field is when you show up and, you know, Yep, you still yep. pay your back gates and you uh you get the right night you can make it happen right right you know i i definitely go into every night you know you kind of want to win you know but but you kind of know what you're up against too um and with the late mall you really got to be on the dot every night yeah it's amazing the, the technology and how those guys get those things bolted down it's uh it's i'm sure that competition's tough to to, to stay in it you know right yep no, and it, it's it's been fun. What's uh what's kind of the 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 plan for uh for the next season here with what you're up to? Well, right now both me and Tom are piecing together a couple sprint car frames to make into rollers. He's gonna, I think he's gonna build a three hundred five on his own. 
um, and I'm going to get an engine built by Chuck Thompson from Ableton, uh, Tom Sand Machine. He's been building mm-hmm. sprint car engines for like decades now. I think he, like Jade Hastings that runs up in Grand Forks, he gets an engine built by uh, Chuck and there's a few other guys around the area. And he approached me to, that he was willing to put one together for me. So I jumped at it and uh, that's the plan for me next year. Um, and then, you know, I, I got, I got some framework to do on the late mall. Um, and hopefully, hopefully we'll do that in the next month or so. Uh, I don't know what the plan looks like for next year. Cause I feel like with Chuck helping me out, I kind of want to concentrate on Friday nights, but you know, if a Saturday comes around and there's a race somewhere, I'm sure I'll load something up. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's touch on that. Uh, you know, last year you, you had a night at, uh, at River City Speedway where you, you brought both the late model and the, the wingless sprint out. Well, that was oh, actually was that? 20, that was actually 2020, but, uh, oh, yeah. I, I'd only gotten like maybe two nights of racing in before that with the sprint car. Um, and I just seen they were both racing that night and I'm like, ah, you know, if I can get one, another car up there, I should try it. Um, and I, I kind of struggled with the late mall, but I still made the show. I think they had like 30 cars, but I still made it in, but, uh, they had the sprint cars right after the late malls. And like, it was like that all night. And, uh, it was definitely, definitely a lot of work and it was really hot out that night, but, uh, about uh, midway through the, I wouldn't even say midway through the sprint car feature, but uh, partway through the sprint car feature, I noticed I was catching the leader and uh, I actually caught him and was trying to pass him with about six to go and kind of took my line away and we ended up bumping and it screwed my steering up. But like, I basically tried to hold on for the next few laps and finish, but you know, I darn near won my first feature that night. And then it's a pretty, and then jumped out of the, yeah, then I jumped out of the sprint car, uh, and had to belt bolt into the late mall and, uh, get into the lineup right after that. So, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Crazy. Yeah. It was definitely a hectic night. Oh, no doubt. So we're driving two different cars like that and so different. Like what's, uh, what's that like for you? Well, it was definitely weird. Uh, you know, the, the late mall is so wide and the sprint car, there's nothing on either side of you. And, uh, so that was definitely a weird feeling in, in one night. Um, and they do, they do drive totally different. You know, the, the sprint car, it seems like it floats on the track where the late mall digs into it. So the, the late mall, you know, you're, you're really getting shoved to the right side of the car going in the corner and, uh, sprint car, you're kind of sliding it. So there's definitely differences, but I was able to adapt pretty quick. Yeah. You don't have trouble switching back and forth too much you no. know, driving the wrong style and that kind of thing no i i feel like uh you get in the first corner and you forget that you're not in the other car you know right i wanted to i wouldn't say it affected my driving in either one of them either mm-hmm. well, and if anything you were keeping up the track with the track better than most guys right yeah yep well, that's uh uh, that's wild so you just taking a step back and and how you got into the sprint deal when uh what, what was it that made you decide to do that? Well, like I had said earlier, I'd always wanted to race the late mall, but I'd also always wanted to race a sprint car. Um, mm-hmm. Growing up in Harwood, uh, I'd say the last 40 years, there's been at least one guy in town that's raced a sprint car. And mm-hmm. uh, so it's just, I've just kind of always been around it. I wouldn't say I've been like into it. Uh, like I probably learned more uh, once I started racing than I had in the years before. Um 
but yeah, I'd always wanted to do it. And, uh, I, uh, Tom, a few years ago, had talked about putting a sprint car together and I go, I jokingly said, Hey, you know, if, if you want somebody to drive it, I'll do it. And he kind of, <laughs> we laughed about it, but he kind of, uh, kept it in his head about it. And, uh, next thing you know, when Miles Tomlinson started this, uh, Western Renegades deal, Tom's like, Hey, I think I can find a couple frames. And I think, I think I got enough uh, stuff at my shop that we could probably put a couple of cars together. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, we ended up putting my car together. Uh, I'd say total is around $3,000. And that's, <laughs> that's including the engine that I had built in high school way back, you know, way back in high school, about 20 years ago. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I laugh about it because you, you look at rollers and they're obviously more than that. So to even have a car driving around a racetrack for less than what rollers are going for is just still crazy to think about. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely something. Uh, so that first time you got to drive the Sprinter, what uh, was it as wild as you expected? Uh, somewhat. It, it, like I said, that uh, first time in the late mall, I hadn't actually gotten laps in the sprint car until my first night. It was a night in Fargo. Mm-hmm. And I was a little nervous. You know, I, I've heard uh, different things about how they'd handle. And I remember thinking, well, I'll just start in the back of the heat while we were lined up going green. I'm like, uh, I'll just stay where I'm at. So I was actually <laughs> trying a slide job on the first corner, you know. And <laughs> <laughs> the first corner. Dude. Yeah. Oh. Yep. <laughs> This is how you do it. <laughs> yep, yep. So I was like, well, that's that's how it is. And uh, yeah, I, I felt like I adapted pretty quick. You just kind of, you just kind of have to feel the car under you, really, you know. Yeah, well, you know, it's so true. Like the, I didn't realize how much racing is driving by the seat of your pants, like they say. Yep. But really that, that input that the, the car is telling you from the traction that's feeding up into your butt through the seat. Yep. I didn't realize how much of a difference that made until I was trying to play iRacing and getting my ass completely kicked <laughs> because you have none of that in that. Oh that, yeah, right? yeah. There's a little bit of, there's the feedback on the steering wheel, but you're not driving with that seat of the pants feel that you, you know, a lot of guys really need. Right. Yep. And uh, yeah, it's, it, it's huge. So I'd, I'd say like had... iRacing and, and video games, they, they help your hand eye coordination, but I, I think obviously being in a car is different. Oh, for sure. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a, it's still a great way to practice your racecraft and your, uh, you know, yeah, hand and eye and, and all that stuff. I, I totally believe that. But, uh, yeah, there's there's a pretty big component there that doesn't exist. Right. And uh, do you, are you big on the eye racing? No, I actually haven't done it other than, like, simulators that they have. Uh, yeah, yeah. I've signed up, but I don't know if I have the computer strong enough, so I've just never uh, tried it. Right. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I can't uh, can't bring myself. I got enough projects on the go. I don't need. I have a computer sitting here that I need to 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 spruce up to do it, and uh, you know, yeah. it's kind of a bit of a shortage of that stuff right now of uh, all the, the hardware, graphics cards, and all that crap. So, uh, yeah, it's, right. And uh, you know, I'd love to I'd love to do it when it's twenty blowout, but uh, you yeah, know, I just don't have all the stuff. And when you have, uh, you know, uh, a stable of cars like yourselves, I think you've always got work to do in the shop anyway, right? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> there's there's an off-season, but there's not really an off-season. It's just a break from actually racing. Yeah, exactly. 
I know all about that when it comes to racetrack stuff too. It's like, oh, yeah, it's I winter bet. time. It's just a break. That's it. That's all it is. <laughs> right. Nope. That's when you and do all the things that you didn't have time for in the race season. That's yeah, pretty I, much I, it. Yeah. I think people don't realize how much work it actually is in the off season. And, you know, obviously there's work during the season, but uh, that off season is just work leading up to it. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's, it's interesting you mentioned that because, you know, I try to make, one month in particular, the month in which I don't do anything racing related and it never really seems to happen, but it's, it's still usually my November is my month. Um, however, all sorts of things happen super early for me, um, including the snowfall in very early November and usually November, um, I try to relax a little bit, but so much work to do at the racetrack. And so I think December, December, maybe, maybe <laughs> December month. That's will the be one. my month off. <laughs> so well, I anyway, well, man, even people's uh, schedules, like, I don't know if I, if it changed when I, I, I took a couple of years off there and I wasn't paying attention in the last few, but like racetracks are getting their schedules out like November. Like this yeah. is crazy early. Uh, like the series, you wouldn't see anything till PRI and it's already been a month you know, or it's been a few weeks now where the outlaws and Lucas oil and all of them already have their schedule. Up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's crazy. They're all just pushing it hard early and that's good. I mean, Hey, get everybody uh, excited for next year and start planning out your, your road trips and whatnot. But, yep. uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, the, the off season's getting shorter every year. It, it seems. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. Time usually flies by now. It's, uh, I know for up here, January and February, my least favorite months, it's so darn cold. It's hard to think that only a month or two later, it's going to be melting and it's going to be warm sunshine and longer days and all that. It's when you're in the bleak of it, it's just like, this is never going to end. Right. But, like uh, I, I want to say, uh, like even putting uh, race cars together, I'd say January is where you kind of take your break. Cause it's really hard to go out and try to work on anything when it's so cold out and it's dark all the time. And yeah, but you know, it starts warming up around February and it's kind of go time again. Yeah, it's, 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 everyone seems to like really get going on the first day in late February when it's like 32 degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah, zero degrees. It's just like, wow, the sun's so much warmer and I should probably get working on this. And then they realize like, there's not enough time. Yeah. Oh, crap. (laughs) I was going to do this and I was going to do that. I don't got time. Uh, Well, let's move into our next segment called In the Driver's Seat. These are longer answers. You can tell us several stories if you like. Um, But this is just to really give the fans an idea of what Josh is like in the race car. Um, So we'll start with number one right away. Which driver do you have the most fun racing against? I don't know if I got a quite answer for that. I think they're all fun, but (laughs) I don't know. I guess I don't have an answer for that. What? (laughs) What do you mean you don't have a, I mean, there's got to be someone that you race against fairly often that you enjoy. Uh, well, it's, you know, with a non-wing, uh, Miles is pretty fun to race against. Um, he's, you know, he's he's pretty aggressive, but he's also pretty uh, respectful. Mm-hmm. No, that's, that's good. Um, number two, what went through your mind the first time you jumped into a race car and started your first race? Uh... Well, hopefully I don't wreck it. <laughs> That's a good thing to be thinking about. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Pause well, like, like I said, after, <laughs> after about my first lap, I, after, after that, it's like, well, I got to uh, try to pass this guy. <laughs> That's usually how it works, eh? When yep. it comes to racing. Yep. 
Yeah, yeah, I'll just take it easy. Lap two, you're going three wide. Yeah, maybe not. Well, I've heard of people (laughs) jumping into cars where they're like, uh, they they make they take it easy the first lap, and they're like, oh, I'll try going a little harder the next lap, and so on and so forth. Yeah. Right, but you just you just jumped right in. You went from I hope I don't wreck it to okay, I'm just gonna put it there. Yeah, more or less. (laughs) Good call. All right, number three. If you went three wide with one lap to go, which spot would you prefer to be in? The inside, the middle, or outside, and why? Uh, the outside, and, uh, just because it'd be a little more spectacular. <laughs> sure would be. As you go flying off the top of the racetrack or just get smushed into well, the wall? or Yeah. Uh, I think I've done that in Grand Forks before. Oh, okay. Uh, not not necessarily for a win, but uh, I put it up top, and I think I passed somebody right on the coming to the checker. Oh, that's, that's impressive. I'm not a race car driver, so I just see it from the stands myself. So, Yeah. Uh, number four, what do you do in the car just before you drive out of the pit stall? Uh, probably just close my eyes and, I don't know, relax, and then back out and go. And number five, what race would you consider the one that got away? Uh, probably that one that uh, I did double duty, and I think I could have probably won that thing, but I just didn't. Was it was it the leader? Or was it a lap car that, uh, that the leader? Uh, I'd been running the top, and he had been running the bottom, and uh, I had you know slowly caught him, and then once I got got next to him in the next corner, he took my lane away, and I think we touched, and uh, yeah, I just uh, wrecked something in the front end, and I was towed in for the next few laps. Uh, driving around all cross head. Yep, <laughs> every corner and every corner was a struggle after that. Oh yeah. Yeah, people don't believe how big of a difference it can make. Just a little knock to the front end. but Yep. And number six, if you could sit down with one or three people from any time in motorsports, who would it be and why? I think Jack Hewitt. You know, he, uh, we talk about me racing so many cars, but uh, he was probably one of the first to do it all at the same time. I, you know, I don't know that much about uh, about Dewitt Hewitt other than the, the infamous interview. Oh, yeah. yeah. You're dang right, so I got time for an interview. But, well, I mean, uh, there, uh, he had won that four crown nationals where he'd won all four, you know. He run, won, oh, he was the first guy to do that. Yeah, he'd won the modified feature, the midget, the sprint car, and the silver crown. Holy smokes. And, you know, he'd done, like, he'd, uh, he'd run wing one night and they'd take the wing off and run a USAC show the next, and then he'd go run a late mall somewhere. Huh. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, you know, that that's a little more common now. It's still fairly rare, but uh, I guess nobody was doing it back then, hey? Right. Yeah. And I don't know if you've ever seen that picture online where it's, he's got, like, four cars on that waterfall. I always thought that was kind of cool looking. Yes. Yes, I did, just recently. He's Yeah, he had all his... No, that's right. I remember seeing that. I never... I didn't figure out, like... Why he had all these cars? I thought he was a sprint car guy. But uh, <laughs> well, I, I think yeah. uh, overall he was, but uh, you know, people had always offered uh, to have him drive their second car, and he'd always take it, especially yeah. at Eldora. Yeah, well, that's a that's a good one. Any other ones, or just the one? Uh, Kyle Larson would be kind of fun to listen to too, I guess. Yeah, yeah, he's oh man, S- same reason, I guess. You know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, just the the race, everything, and be good at it. You know, it's 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 wild the the level of talent that that man has. Yep, and I would have I would have liked to met uh, Brian Kloss, and I know uh, I don't know if it was the year he passed away or the year before, but he was running the B Dubs car every once in a while. 
Oh yeah, yeah. So it would have been kind of fun to meet him. Yeah, yeah. Another guy. He was just such a talent. You know, just super quick and everything that he ran. Like he. Uh, well, like that that uh, year he passed away. He ran the Indy Five Hundred, and then that night uh, raced a sprint car at Kokomo, Indiana. Yeah. Like the yeah, big, exactly. Like the biggest day of the year, and uh, you go run a sprint car up in Kokomo. Yeah. Yeah, we can squeak it in. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, that's huge, and you know he did all right in the in that Indy 500 effort. He didn't have the the greatest car, no, under him, but uh, he held his own. And I mean, you know, he's going in there with just the just the dirt experience. He hadn't hardly raced at all, other than you know, right. A bit of, I, I think he might have done one or two Indy Lights races, but uh, yeah. other than that, it was it was uh, all sprint car, or I mean, uh, just Indy car. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. No, it's such a talent. It was so. I'm so sad to see him go. Yep. Who you know the the landscape would look different. The the outlaws and the golden drillers and all that stuff. It would uh, he would have continued to write the record books in that those series. I'm sure of it. Right. So yeah. So uh, for for 2022, you've got uh, you've got the big fleet built up here. You're planning on getting out and and uh, you know running the, the the two sprint cars and then and and everything. That's. Uh, that's well. How many nights do you plan to run next year? Uh, I, I guess I'll just play it by ear, but I know Friday nights I'll be in Fargo, and uh, you know if there's an NLRA show on Saturday night, which there would be, uh, you know I'd try to hit those and uh, just see what's out there. You know I, I made it to Underwood last year, Cedar Lake, uh, just around. I wouldn't mind going to Watertown and Aberdeen and other places mm-hmm. around too. Uh, but yeah, once the schedules come out, uh, I might get one of those desktop calendars and just start writing dates then. Yeah, yeah. Just see what uh, see what works. I'm going to be doing kind of the same thing here for my my sprint schedule. Just trying to put a, put together some good little uh, three race swings there wherever I can and and get down there. And uh... oh, I meant to ask how was how was getting down to Hutsets? Uh, like just uh, the driving wise or what? Well, uh, yeah, like the track. Like what was it like racing? Oh, I, it was awesome. You know, I'd, I'd I always say I had a million laps there, but it was all on the PlayStation too. So, yeah. <laughs> so it was kind of kind of cool to actually be on the track. And yeah, you know, was it fairly uh, similar? Is the layout? Did it feel familiar? Or was it? I almost feel different? like it's it's tighter in real life. Like uh, mm-hmm. turn four, uh, you know, it, it looks like it's wide enough, but it it, it feels like it narrows up coming off. Uh, mm-hmm. Going into each corner seemed pretty good though. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, I'd say the the game's a little wider, but. Uh, I'd say the shape was fine. It's just the game's not the same as real life. Yeah, I know for sure. It's incredible though how that game has a cult following. A eh? World of Outlaws Sprint Cars 2002 on PS2. Think, you know, it's so old, it's so outdated. Oh, I still play people. it too. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I guess, I I guess that's this. my eye racing. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, but it's the only dirt racing game, you know, before eye racing that that even was kind of close to being able to feel that that slide. You know? Right. Yep. Yep. Everything else just didn't get it right. I still remember, uh, you know, they had the computer games that came out before that, but I'd say that game was the first that actually had a cushion. So it was mm-hmm. kind of fun to actually run, run up against the cushion. So that was, I always thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, no, it was, uh, it was ahead of its time. They did a really good job with it too. You know, all the, I, I hope they, drivers. I hope they can somehow bring it back. And I don't think anybody would care if all they did was change deliveries on the cars. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Make it the exact same. Yep. <laughs> Remastered. More or yeah. less, you know, I'd, I'd love to have a 
David Gravel or, you know, new Donnie Shots or Brad Sweet on there. Yeah. Even if yeah, all they're Donnie... replacing is Steve Kinzer, Mark Kinzer, and Sammy Swindell. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I guess Donnie would be the only guy from that game. Oh, no, no, there's other guys who are on that game who are still racing a little bit, right? Uh, he might be the only one, especially since Jack Hanshield, uh retired. And yeah, I'm trying to think of who else was on that game, but he might be the only one left. Yeah, had Stevie Smith and Andy Hillenberg, guys like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess those guys are all done. Yeah, Delansky. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, maybe Pittman. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess. Yeah, Pittman a little running. bit. Maybe. Yeah. He, but yeah. Uh, super, uh, super fun game, and it's. Uh, it's pretty cool to must be really neat to be able to go and race like like you said you know games tracks that you raced on video games that's a that's a bucket list kind of deal right and then uh you know the the tracks built into a valley and uh uh, i think when the last guy took it over they kind of made it stadium seating so when you get there it's almost like you're coming to a college football stadium or something like that on the one side so it's really cool to be at yeah no, I, I think that one's going on the list for something I got to do next year. Yep. Yeah, so you know that's that's your plans for twenty two. I mean, what's your what's your long term plans or goals? What's uh, you know, what what's the dream? I don't know. I haven't grown up yet, so I, I don't know what my <laughs> plans are once I do grow up. I'd, I'd like to just keep racing as long as I possibly can, but you know, stuff stuff can get in the way. Yeah. Well, for sure. Is there you, any? Uh, is there any type of event that you want to win at or well, uh, points but, championship? Uh, <laughs> well, I know, but I, I mean, everyone's got, yeah. everyone has like a specific thing where it's just like, Hey, you know what? Like, that's something I really want to win. I mean, everyone wants to win everything, but I mean, right. you gotta, you gotta scope out what's, <laughs> what's laying yeah. on the land there. Right. Well, I mean, I, I'd love to win the sites, but I'd also like to make the sites too. <laughs> so, been, so make been... the sites. That's a good goal. Yeah. Making the sites. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. even uh, uh, I had taken a couple of years off 2017 and 2018, and I had come back in 2019 uh, with the late mall. And I got the car competitive enough that I actually thought I had a realistic chance at winning the stampede. Uh, I did struggle in the feature there uh, towards the middle of it, but, you know, that was one that I, I would really love to win. Yeah. Oh, man. That's such a, a fantastic joint. Yeah. It's uh, just so much fun racing around there. It's just the perfect layout. Right. That that track just, you know, uh, it's so wide. And I've always liked uh, guys taking the outside where, uh, you know, you can kind of go off the track on the back stretch. Yeah. I, I always I always love doing that uh, with any car, I guess. And uh, just floating it into three has always been kind of fun. Yeah. And it's serious banking up top there, too. Yeah. It's, uh, it's something. Yep. Yeah. I think we need to convince Chris Steppen, friend of the pod. Uh, I think we need to convince him to uh, to put these wingless cars on that uh, on the sites. The night for the sites, yeah. If he could uh, get them that Thursday, I think that'd be kind of nice. But uh, I don't know how how busy he is. I think they got three classes that night. But yeah, I think I think we gotta put the bug in his ear. But yeah, uh, <laughs> they they definitely put on a show. mm Hmm. No, I'm I'm super excited for next year to get to race with you and all the guys down in that series. It just looks like such a fun deal that you guys got going, and uh, I can't wait to be part of it. Yeah, uh, definitely uh, happy to have you. Yeah, I'll be representing Team Canada there, one man <laughs> show, but uh, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, gonna have the big maple leaf on it or anything like that. 
you know, I haven't really worked that into my, my cars very much before. Yeah. Um, but you'll be representing the whole country. This is true. (laughs) Yeah. I I am the only renegade driver from Canada. So it's, uh, yeah, I might have to work that in there somehow. I think I might have to put Jerome's, uh, sorry, maple leaf. Sorry. Yeah. That was a good one. Yep. Right on. Well, any, uh, any other stories that we, uh, we forgot to bring up or anybody specifically want to thank? Uh, as far as stories, not really. Uh, I, I guess I would like to thank, uh, my grandpa, Jerry. That's, uh, that's where I keep my late mall and modified. Uh, he offered, uh, let me use the back half of his shop my first year racing. And, uh, I guess I just never left. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he's like, I thought this was a one year deal. <laughs> right. More or less, but, uh, yeah, yeah it kind of all worked out and I don't think he's that, uh, annoyed of it. So, um, and then, you know, obviously Tom, uh, I think I sped up the sprint car learning curve a lot more with him. Um, and then uh, Greg Parent from Stillwater, Minnesota, he's been helping me out for a couple of years. Uh, he he helps out a lot of racers and series down by the Twin Cities, so it's kind of cool to have him on the car. And then obviously Chuck Thompson, uh, uh, when, I, when we were putting the first sprint car together, he, he'd go back in his shed and find parts that might need and uh, give them to me. And seems like this fall he's kind of been doing the same thing and uh we've gotten like maybe a truckload of parts now from him and uh yeah and then uh, obviously he'll be putting that 305 together so that's definitely nice of him mm-hmm. definitely yeah i'm sure I, i'm sure i'm forgetting people but that's all i can think of at the moment yeah no that's uh it's great, man. It's uh, it's been fun chatting with you, and you know, I think you and I only ever spoke at uh, the back gate for Grand Forks one time for a <laughs> couple of minutes. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's been uh, been been cool to get to know you a bit, and looking forward to to racing with you this summer. Yeah, I'm sure we'll see plenty of each other this summer. So, all right, well, th- yeah, same thing here. Thanks so much, Josh, for being on Bench Racing Radio. And uh, we uh, look forward to seeing you out on the racetrack in 2022. And thank you to the fans of Bench Racing Radio for listening to another episode of the podcast. We uh, really appreciate all your support and all the comments. And, you know, if you have anything that you'd like to uh, comment on, you can message myself or Eric. Uh, We definitely appreciate the feedback. Otherwise, we'll catch you next time on Bench Racing Radio. Thanks for listening to Bench Racing Radio. Like and follow our social media handles. Facebook at Bench Racing Radio. Twitter at Bench Racing Rat 1. Or Instagram at Bench Racing Radio.